Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. From KCBS Radio, I'm Mallory Samara in from at Pittman, and this is Bay Current for Friday, July 1st. When it comes to police-caused hospitalization rates for Black residents, San Francisco has been ranked as the worst in the state. That's according to a new study by the University of California, San Francisco. The key question, what community characteristics are associated with racial and ethnic disparities in legal intervention injuries in California? The San Francisco Police Department has responded to it, saying it's, quote, committed to transparent, unbiased, and responsive policing for all communities, end quote, pointing at its Chief Scott-developed Race and Reconciliation series that focuses on disparities, civil rights, and the history of policing in the United States. The police department says it recognizes the study and that since the launching of its collaborative reform initiative in 2016, that total uses of force by the department have decreased by 60%. But I wanted to hear more about the study and its findings, so I reached out to its lead author, Dr. Cora Ormseth, a resident physician in the emergency department at UCSF. Just to, to start of kind of the objective of the study and why we did it was we know that black individuals in the U.S. are disproportionately injured by police. And despite a lot of national attention and uh, police reform measures, we haven't seen you know, much progress, although progress is hard to measure without you know, standardized reporting systems. So we wanted to look at this using hospital data because hospital data is standardized. And we wanted to try to address the root causes that could be underlying these disparities beyond police reform. So specifically, we wanted to look at structural factors like residential segregation um, and see if that was increasing risk. So what we did was we looked at all California hospital data from 2016 to 2019 And we identified these injuries uh, using a medical coding system. So these codes classified legal intervention injuries as any injury sustained as a result of an encounter with law enforcement officers. And so we were able to identify all of those injuries in California, and we found 27,671. We then looked at injury ratios. So we calculated that based on the 
number of injuries we actually saw divided by how many would be expected based on county demographics. And we calculated that for race and ethnicity in each of the California counties. And the last part was we looked at a measure of residential segregation in each of the counties and um, modeled that association with injury ratios for white residents in each county and for black residents. So what we found was of the 27,671 injuries, 18% were black, despite black residents making up just 6% of the California population. And when we looked at the injury ratios, so how many injuries we saw divided by how many we would have expected, we saw that for Black residents, the ratio was as high as seven. And for white residents, the ratio was as high as five. And um, the, the highest ratio we saw was San Francisco, which for Black residents meant that Black residents were injured at a rate seven times higher than what was expected based on their demographic representation in the county. So there were 408 injuries for Black residents in San Francisco, but we had expected to see 60 based on population demographics. And we then mapped out the injury ratios in the counties, and we saw that um, higher injury ratios for Black residents clustered around the Bay Area, and high injury ratios for white residents clustered around more rural uh, Northern California counties. And the last part was just modeling the association between segregation and injury rates, and we saw there was an association between um, higher residential segregation and higher injury ratios for Black residents, but not for white residents. I see. In the San Francisco Chronicle article, you told them that if you look back at history, it all starts to make sense. And would you mind sort of just explaining that to me? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, initially when we saw how high the rates in San Francisco were, we were surprised, but I suppose we should not have been surprised. Um, there's been a lot of you know, historical accounts of uh, how residential segregation came to be in San Francisco. There's discriminatory policies and practices led to differential investment and disinvestment in communities, and that resulted in areas of economic privilege and deprivation. And there have been studies looking at arrest rates in San Francisco that found similar magnitudes of disparities where Black residents were arrested at eight times the rate of white residents. So I, I suppose these we should not have been as surprised about uh, San Francisco. But, you know, these discriminatory housing policies and practices were occurring throughout California and throughout the country. So from our study, we can't say exactly what set San Francisco apart, but we can look at the history of how residential segregation came to be, and it makes sense how there's increased exposure to law enforcement. I think, you know, looking back at the history, how these discriminatory practices were in effect until not that long ago, and then they were outlawed in 1968 by the Fair Housing Act, um, but there was not substantial 
uh, efforts to make amends for any of that. And so we see persistent segregation and just this enduring pattern of economic deprivation and disinvestment. And so I think from a policy standpoint, we need to address this and address the disinvestment in communities and look at resources and infrastructure in communities because our study findings are suggesting that this this is one of the root causes underlying these disparities and injuries that we see. And compared to other counties and other um, other areas that you studied here in California, were there any other areas that were comparable to San Francisco in terms of the injury ratios? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, there were. So San Francisco had an injury ratio of seven for black residents and one for white residents. When we looked at the highest rates of injuries for black residents, the next highest was Humboldt County uh, with a ratio of four. Um, Actually, Humboldt, Yuba, Solano, Kern, and Calusa County all had an injury ratio of four. Interesting. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So San Francisco is definitely significantly higher than that. What was interesting that we found when we tried to model the association between different socioeconomic variables in these injury ratios was that segregation was only associated with higher rates of injury for Black residents. It was not associated with uh, higher rates of injury for white residents. We actually saw that for white residents, what was associated with higher injury ratios were rural areas and higher levels of poverty. So in Del Norte, um, which had the highest rate for um, for white residents, it looks like there are you know, different different factors at play for black residents versus white residents. Yeah. Wow, that's that's interesting. Well, is there anything else that you wanted to to add about this study? And you know, is this something that you're going to continue to observe over the next uh, however many years? I think looking at these findings, it really highlighted how in the emergency department and in the hospitals, there isn't that much that doctors can do to reduce these disparities because reducing these disparities is going to be preventing the injuries from happening in the first place. And that's going to require upstream interventions. But I think when we see these injuries come in, documenting it is really important so that we can track them and and hold our communities accountable and you know provide this feedback so that this can we can share the patterns we're seeing in the hospital and hopefully that can inform these upstream interventions and policies that can help prevent these injuries so i think that was one of the takeaways for me and i think we're going to you know continue to look into this this study was you know just kind of showed a broad association but there's a lot more granular analysis that would be helpful in really like specifying what interventions might reduce these disparities. And, you know, one thing that also stood out in our data was almost half of the patients injured had a mental health diagnosis or a substance or alcohol use disorder. And we don't know how that played into the law enforcement encounter, but it was a very high rate. And so I think we need to understand that interaction more as well and um, because that has implications for 
the mental health care system and substance use treatment and resources. There's a lot of things that um, we, we still need to understand and, and he's out here. Special thanks to UCSF's Dr. Cora Ormseth for her time and insight on the study. New episodes are out every day, and we'd love to be a part of your daily routine. Please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app or just about anywhere you get your podcasts. That's it for today's Bay Current. I'm Mallory Samara from Matt Pittman. We'll chat with you again next week. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.